Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Podcast. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 1030 on Facebook Live. Also, this Sunday we will be having an outdoor service at 930 a.m. today. I'm grateful, grateful that you tell us in your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us, God. And um, as we prepare to open up your word today, God, I pray that you would give each each one of us um, uh, listening, each one of us tuning in, ears to hear and hearts to obey, God. Ears to hear and hearts to obey as we open up your word this morning. God, we thank you once again that you brought us Um, to this point in our week, Lord. We want to hear from you, God. I pray that you would be glorified this morning in these words, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're new, if you're just tuning in, um, seeing what we're all about, I'm Pastor Billy uh, on staff here, and I am grateful for the opportunity to bring the word of God to you this morning. And you know how pastors like to say that, that, that they're excited, um, they're excited to, to, to bring this word. Um, I say that truthfully, I, I, not that I would ever say it not truthfully, but I say it this time, I say it with, um, uh, yeah, I just got something burning in me. I'm excited um, to bring this word to you today. And so I hope you're ready to receive it. Uh, we begin a new series today. We begin a new series today, as Pastor Adrian alluded to earlier, titled Old as New, Old as New. And first, I want to clear something up. We are not talking, we are not talking about the old-fashioned trends that are appearing new, you know, the ones that are coming back in. Um, you know what I'm talking about, the, the mom jeans, the round glasses, the corduroys, the chunky sneakers, white boots, chokers, high-waisted jeans, silk scarves scrunchies. Yeah. And some of y'all out there, some of you listening right now, you're sort of looking around like, oh, I had no idea those went out of style. And so to you, to you today, we simply nod our heads. But no, I'm referring, I'm referring today, the old as new, I'm referring to the Old Testament founding God's word, the Bible. The Old Testament, the Old Testament, it it was Jesus's Bible. It's neither dead nor dormant. Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish that. I came to give it its greater fulfillment, to fill it out to the fullest potential. And the Old Testament is actually 77% of your Bible. It's 77% of your Bible and about a quarter of the New Testament. Some of you didn't know that. The Gospel of Matthew is actually 31% Old Testament content. Why? Because that's the scripture that Jesus had to refer to in his teachings, in his life on earth. And so the Old Testament matters. And so you'll often hear content from the Old Testament in our HFCN teaching because it's a great source of our understanding of God, our Christian ethic, and having having a heart of true worship for God. And so we'll spend three weeks uh, beginning today focusing on critical stories from the Old Testament. Three weeks on critical stories from the Old Testament that are particularly powerful and practical for us today. And so, speaking of today, 
speaking of today, speaking of today, when we read, and I know that, that you're tuned in, when we read, when we watch, or when we listen to the news, it can be easy to get depressed, angry, fearful, confused, heartbroken. Why? Because the media, the media so often seems to suggest that we live in a world that is random and uncontrolled. They seem to suggest that evil is triumphing over good. That evil is triumphing over good. The plans of the wicked seem to succeed while others are subject to poverty and injustice. That's why we desperately desperately need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and listen to the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. As we read and study the Scriptures, we see the triumph of good over evil. At the end of the day, good wins. And by good, I mean God. In addition to this struggle between good and evil, one person, one person can make a difference. Yes, one person can make a difference. So, so I ask you this morning as we begin to prepare to open the word, are you willing to trust God's providence even when you can't see it playing out? And continue to hope, no matter how bad things get or how bad they may seem, that God is committed. He is committed to reconciling this world to himself through Christ. And so today, we're going to look at a story in God's Word that may be familiar to some, but possibly very unfamiliar to others. Perhaps you've only heard a passage or two uh, quoted from this book. But today, I want to take a closer look at the story of Esther, and specifically, the call of God. The call of God found in the story of Esther. And in just a minute... We're going to pick up in chapter 4, but I, I want to catch us up to speed if, if, if you've never been in the book before. So the book opens up, and the Israelites have been exiled, but it's towards the, it's towards the end of their exile from Israel. And they've been allowed to start to move out, to go back to Jerusalem and disperse. They've been given some freedom. And the ruler of the Persian Empire, the Persian Empire's ruling at this time, is, is King Xerxes. And the book picks up in this party. King Xerxes is throwing a party, and the Persians like to party. So you'll pick that up if you read the book. But Xerxes is throwing this party. He's, he's alcohol everywhere. It's a, you can read the story, but it comes to this point where he calls for his queen to be brought in. And Persians in this culture, they had many, many concubines and, and, and wives, but they would crown one woman as queen. And so he calls for his queen to be brought in, to be put on display in front of those at the party. He's probably had too much to drink at this point. But he calls for her and she refuses. And, and it, 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 it's an embarrassing moment because all of these people are, are there. And so his right hand and left hand men, his attendants, they say, hey, uh, you got to make an example out of her. So he disposes of his queen named Vashti and he begins, uh, he begins to calm down in the days ahead. And they say, hey, here's a good idea. Why don't we search throughout the whole kingdom, bring in all of the young women, um, the young beautiful women. Let's bring them all in and you can find a new queen. And so Xerxes says, okay, I like that idea. And so he brings them all in, and there's this, there's this young Jewish girl who gets brought in. She, she's been raised by her cousin named Mordecai. They're Jews. 
and she gets brought in, and the, and the scriptures say that she is beautiful, and she's attractive, and not only that, but she's witty. She, everyone that sees her is drawn to her, and so she gets taken in. And after some time, she goes before King Xerxes, and he's smitten by her. He, he falls in love. He crowns her the new queen, Queen Esther. And so some time goes by, and, and he raises up one of his attendants named Haman, right? And Haman's this arrogant guy. We don't have time to go into it, but Haman is actually a descendant of the Israelites' arch enemy, the Canaanites. And so God, God's in the details of this story, but Haman wants everyone to bow to him when he, when he comes by in the city. Well, there's one man that won't bow, Mordecai. Esther's cousin. So he's infuriated and he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. And so instead of just threatening Mordecai's life, he says, I'm going to get rid of all of these Jews throughout all of the Persian empire. And so he kind of swindles the king and he says, hey, listen, there's these people that don't really listen to what you say. I think we should just annihilate the Jews. And the king says, "Uh, okay. Because up until this point, he doesn't know that his new queen is a Jew. She's kept her identity hidden. And so this is where we pick up in the story. The king signs the edict. It gets put into play and it gets sent out throughout the kingdom that the Jews will be annihilated on a certain date. There's a date set that the Jews will be wiped out. And we pick up the story there in verse 1 of chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, tearing of his clothes, the sackcloth, the ashes, the wailing. It's a sign. It's a sign of lament. It's a sign of saying, oh, God, spare us of this pain. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Remember that verse there. We're going to come back to it. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She still had a relation. She loved Mordecai. He had raised her like a daughter. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Verse 7, Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa. This is the capital. This is where the palace is. It's where it's all taken place. To show to Esther and explain it to her, And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So Hatak went back and he reports to Esther what Mordecai has said. See, he's the go-between. He's relaying the messages because Mordecai can't enter into the palace presence clothed in sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther, then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces Know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. 30 days have passed since Queen Esther has been called into the presence of the king. 
verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. This remark of Mordecai's is it's, it's one, of the most, one of the most faithful responses in the book. Yet it lacks any mention of God. However, Mordecai's thinking, Mordecai's statement seems to reflect that of Judaism in general, that God would find a way for his people to survive, no matter what choice Esther makes. That God would find a way. Because you see, the story, the story, the story here that we're reading, the, the story of Esther. It's easy to miss this. The story of Esther is not about the plans and purposes of God hinging on the decision of one girl. It's not about that. It's about the future of that girl hinging on her decision to choose to be a part of the plans and purposes of God. It's about the future of that girl hinging on her decision. And then Mordecai says this, and who knows, who knows? Mordecai's remark of who knows parallels that of Joel 2 and verse 14. And in both passages, divine relief and deliverance are sought. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. As this. There it is. That's the verse we've been waiting on for such a time as this. There is no assertion in the book why Esther has been appointed queen, but it seems Mordecai is implying that it could be because God is in the details for such a time as this, that God is in the details. The word of God also says it this way in Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whose purpose? His purpose. And again in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did I say it? That God is in the details of the story. And perhaps for such a time as this. Yes, for this moment, this moment in history, you are exactly in the place that God wants you. Right now. What might that mean for you? Who knows? Who knows? Perhaps you are the one he has in place to show that those in the corporate world what honest and sincere business looks like for God's glory. Who knows, perhaps God wants to use you to stop the cycles of sin and brokenness that have been present throughout your family for generations. Who knows? Perhaps he wants to use your marriage to be a testimony of his grace for generations to come. 
Who knows? Perhaps some of you thought you were done because you were retired or you're approaching that day. But, but there are young men and women who need your wisdom and guidance and direction for just such a time as this. And who knows? Perhaps you're a stay-at-home mother, father, and you're wondering how these long days but seemingly short years... These long days and seemingly short years of rearing and raising children is contributing to God's plans and purposes. But maybe it's as one pastor said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do, but someone you raise. For such a time... As this, for such a time as this, God is in the details. Yes, in the year 2020, in the midst of all that's going on around us in our culture, you are hearing this right now, and God isn't finished with you yet. If you have breath, He's not done with you yet, He's not finished. Whether you're part of the silent generation, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Yes, for such a time as this, will you say yes to the call? Or will you try to avoid it and seek temporary comfort instead? Verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Then Esther sent this reply. Go gather all the Jews in the city and fast for me. It seems like Esther's having a change of heart. But you know one thing that Esther doesn't know? Back in, verse, back in verse 3 it says this. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. I want to show you that God's in the details right here. While the individual words for fasting, weeping, and wailing appear many times in the Old Testament. They're scattered throughout the Old Testament. This appearance in Esther 4 is unique and incredibly significant. This is why I love the Word of God. In fact, the only other time in the Hebrew Bible, that's the Old Testament, where you find these three verbs in exactly the identical construction is Joel chapter 2, verse 12. You say, big deal. And it says this in Joel 2, 12, And even now declares Yahweh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and wailing. The exact same construction that's presented in Esther chapter 4, when the edict, when the judgment comes, fasting, weeping, and wailing. The original readers would have immediately thought of this verse from Joel. And so we're foreshadowing the return of the hearts of the people through this event. Return to me, declares Yahweh. Return to me with all your heart. And so Esther's call to assemble and fast accompanies the very similar cry for divine relief found in that passage in Joel 2. She doesn't even know that they're already doing it because she didn't know the decree had been written. 
I want to read you the passage. Joel 2, verse 12 through 16. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? There it is. Who knows? Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people and consecrate the assembly. Get all the people in the city and fast for me. But she's specific about it. She's specific. Did I tell you God's in the details? She continues in verse 16. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I, my attendants, will fast as you do. Three days, both night and day. Let me tell you that numbers are not insignificant in God's word, especially in the Old Testament. God is in the details. If these three days, if these three days that Esther has called the fast for are consecutive to the day mentioned in 312 when the edict went out in the city and into the providences, then the Jews, watch this, in Susa would have fasted during the Passover and for two days following it. But more time certainly could have passed, right? We don't know exactly. But if these three days are consecutive, and I believe they are, if they're consecutive to the day mentioned in 312, this would be religiously significant for the Jews. The Jewish people would be requesting that Yahweh cause the judgment of an evil empire to pass over them on the day that they're celebrating the rescue of the Jewish people from Egypt. Do you see how God cares? Do you see how his hand is at work, that his providence is working? He's in the details. That if these are the consecutive days, the Jews are actually going to be fasting through Passover, which is the celebration where they celebrate that God passed over them while his judgment was coming down on an evil empire. Whew. He's in the details. He's in the details of your life. Esther Esther has now, at this moment, even in the face of uncertainty, responded with an act of faith. With an act of faith. She then follows that with this resolve. Verse 17 and the rest of 16. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I'll do it. After the fast is over, I will go. And if I die, I die. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. You see, you see, friends, Esther was initially concerned. She was initially concerned about the risk involved with her decision. However, avoiding the call provides no safety at all. Avoiding the call provides no safety at all. And Esther soon realizes this, that obeying the call of God is always the right decision. So what's the bottom line? What's the call of God from his word to us? The call of God is this, to trade transient comfort for a transformative cross. Maybe this makes more sense. To trade comfort that is temporary for us for a cross that transforms us. That is 
the call of God. For what purpose? For God's purpose. Jesus said in the New Testament, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is the call of God. And yes, this happens, as we read in Esther, in the defining moments in our lives, but especially in the daily decisions we make to to say yes to God's call. To say yes to God's call and no, no, no to the noise of our culture. He has created you with purpose, for a purpose, on purpose. And the time between that initial call and the fulfilled purpose of God in your life, it may be years. It may be an entire lifetime, but God asks us for our availability and obedience day by day, despite how things may appear. He wants our availability and our obedience day by day in responding to the call. From the time that Esther was taken into the palace until the time she was made queen was four years. The king tried out new wives for four years before he ever even met Esther. And from the moment she was made queen to the moment that she chose to be identified with God's people and enter into the king's presence in hopes of saving them was another four years. It was almost 10 years from the beginning of her time at the palace to her living into such a time as this. Almost 10 years. Since we're in the Old Testament, King David You've heard of him, right? King David was anointed by the prophet Samuel in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And 20 chapters later, y'all, that's a lot of time in the scriptures. 20 chapters later in 2 Samuel 5, the fulfillment comes even after fleeing for his life for years. David is crowned king of Israel. Jesus, you know. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate to live and to love and ultimately go to the cross to take the punishment for sin that you and I deserve. Yes, that Jesus. He was born an infant, and his calling didn't officially begin until around the age of 30, and then it culminated three years later when he went to the cross and died, was buried, and ultimately resurrected so that you and I may have new life. But the time between the call and the fulfillment, the waiting time, it's not wasted time in the hands of God. Romans 8, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The call of God, the call of God is to trade transient comfort for a transformative cross. Trade comfort that is temporary for a cross that transforms. To choose, to choose that, to choose to take up our cross and say yes to God's call changes us. It changes us. It gives us a purpose bigger than our own concerns and problems. It gives us hope that our lives are part of the unfolding story of God that is greater than any one of our stories on its own. And it transforms us. It transforms us into the people of God's grace and love, people of reconciliation in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we respond today? How do you respond? 
perhaps this final song that we're about to sing together was, perhaps this was the cry of Esther's heart to the Lord during the three days of fasting as she made her choice to say, Lord, here I am. And I invite you today, I invite you today to make it the cry of your heart as you decisively choose today whose you are. Because in the end, Esther was obedient. And because she was, the Jews were saved. And so my question is, what or who is on the other side of your choice today? What or who? And so as Haley sings, let's make this song our prayer and declaration today. I hear you call, I am available. I say, yes, Lord, I am available. Yes, even for such a time as this. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.